everybody, Jimmy Smith. On today's Unlocking the Cage podcast, my broadcasting knowledge comes in very, very handy as we discuss Dominic Cruz and DC and their confrontation about DC's supposed lack of work ethic. Also, Dan Hardy, great MMA broadcaster, joins us to talk about the DC Cruz controversy and this weekend's UFC. Also, on the WWE side, Corey Graves, his Twitter back and forth about the character he plays on Monday Night Raw. Dominic Cruz and DC, Daniel Cormier. Now, before we even start about this, I have not worked with either guy. When I was with the UFC, never worked the desk with DC or Dominic Cruz. When I called fights, the only person I was in a three-man booth with was Joe Rogan and Dan Hardy, whom I just spoke to. Get along great with both those guys. Never had one little tiny problem. Did I hear things about Dominic Cruz and DC? Yes, I did. How much of that will I reveal? I don't know, because I don't like doing what Dominic Cruz did, which is talk at a school in public. You can think a lot of things about me. Kelly and KOV certainly do. My taste in football teams, for example. Okay. But one thing I don't do, I don't air dirty laundry. Period. Don't do that. If I hear something about somebody, I generally don't spread it around. I certainly don't make public statements about my peers. Uh, That is exactly what Dominic Cruz did at the UFC 269 media scrum about Daniel Cormier. Let's hear it. When it comes to DC, you know, I I usually mute it. I I like I love DC. He's my friend, but to me, from my experience, he doesn't do the homework. He he wants to get in and out, get the job done, make his money, and I think he cares about us. But it's just different. He doesn't do the preparation. From my experience, he might now. I'm hoping he watches some film this time on me so that he knows what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hold my breath on that. That's for sure. Damn. That is really some really scathing comments. Like, there's no other way to say. You can't be like, "Oh, we're friends," but I'm telling you right now, and I'm being completely honest here. If KOB did an interview somewhere and said that about me, I would find you and I would beat your ass, KOB. I would do it. Now, you can bash me on my own show, which you always do, about my, what my, my, my numerous personality flaws. But if I had somebody who worked with me in any capacity say that about me publicly, we got a problem. And we have a big problem. And that it's true. It's just like I I'm sitting there going, I've done what what I don't do it anymore. I don't do MMA commentary anymore. But if I did and Dominic Cruz said that about me. In an immediate interview in front of people. Oh, we got a problem. Working with that guy is not going to be a pleasant experience for him, period. It's going to suck. So it, it whether he's right, I'm not even like talking about whether he's right or wrong. I'm not. If you have a problem with how somebody you work with does their job, you contact them. You call them. If I believe Kelly is not doing her job or KB is not doing their job, I would call them and go, hey, I need this, this, and that. You know, whatever. I'm not going to sit here and berate them on air unless it's Guns, who I do both. I call him personally and I berate him on air. Okay, that's part part of our love. Okay, so that's the deal. This is a regular broadcaster. Talking about another regular broadcaster. 
So on uh, DC's YouTube channel, they sat down, and it was kind of mediated, I guess, by Michael Bisping. He was there. I don't know if you call him a mediator, but he was there. Uh, this is DC telling Cruz why he was wrong. Can I say something? Please. Can I tell you something right now as an honest, as a friend? Please. It was wrong of you to say what you said this morning. Oh, so I'm wrong. Because that was not fair of you as a colleague to do that publicly. You to tell do, me. To do what? Well, like what did, what me, did I do? Going though? up there, because the reality is, what did I do? You said, Dominic, even if you said, DC's my brother, right? You and I, brother. Yeah. They'll never come between yeah. us. We're brothers. Yep. But even if you say that, they won't run that. They won't run that you say but that we're what brothers. Did I, what did they run? Because I've been doing I don't like that. listening to Daniel Cormier commentate. I, I muted. I don't. Th- I don't think he watches the fights. I don't think he wants to be there. He gets his money and he leaves. Dom, that's not fair. I'm not allowed to say what I feel. Dom, not I'm wrong now. That's for, bullshit, I'm wrong Dom. for being that for is telling a, that my... is a blatant mistrust so, of a friendship about and this? as a colleague. Yeah, yeah. I gotta agree with DC on that one, and I've had my issues with DC. I have not not personally. I, I've never met. I've met the guy like once. Well, I don't have a personal issue. I'm saying like I've been public about, you know. DC's commentary roles and stuff he says about MMA outside of MMA, stuff like that. Okay, I've, I've had my issues with him. I agree 100% with, 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 with DC. It's not what you said. It's the forum in which you said it. And you hear Dom trying to cut him off. What did I say? What I, Dude, we know what you said. We're all there. He's just trying to kind of cut DC off. He's being a little bit condescending with, oh, what did I do? What did I do? What did I say? Uh, let, or first off, let me finish, and I'll tell you what you said. B, I don't need to tell you what you said. You know what you said. So in this exchange, you see Dominic Cruz being kind of arrogant about it. And that's the negative you know, uh, perception of Dominic Cruz, an arrogant dude. He was always the smartest guy in the room. Once again, my personal experience with Dominic Cruz is very, very limited. We never called anything together, never worked with the guy. But once again, that's his perception. That's how he's perceived. Okay? And that's how he came across in this. And it's not about, oh, I'm not allowed to say what I think. You're always allowed legally to say what you think, but it's effed up. It's effed up. It is. So this is DC talking about the nuts and bolts of what uh, Dominic Cruz said about preparation. Let's hear it. Dominic, there's different ways to prepare for a fight than watching film. It's not singular. It's not part of it. It's not singular. I do watch film. I watch film every single time. What do I watch film? Do I watch fights fights to the extent that you watch fights? No. Do you watch film? I will openly sit here and say I don't watch fights to the extent that Dominic Cruz watches. And that's okay. You don't need to watch it. Do you watch it at all, though? But I do watch film every single time. Every fighter I watch. I watch every one of your fights. I've called your last fights. I've called your last two fights. Okay, so that's different. So I watch You didn't go back and watch the film, though. You called it. All right. DC is saying he watches film. Which of my fights have you watched? And he says, I've watched all of them. And he said, well, you know, you called my last two fights, but that's different than watching it. Well, DC just said he watched them all. I have seen every single one of Dominic Cruz's fights. Every single one. And I've never called a Dominic Cruz fight. And I've seen every single one. It's not that difficult. A lot of hardcore MMA fans have seen every single one. 
all his WC stuff. I've seen every time Dominic Cruz has fought as a professional in a big promotion, I've seen him. I've seen him in some small promotions back in the day when he first when he was first getting started. So, so it's kind of a, a weird. You, you accuse him of not watching tape, and DC says, I do watch tape, although there are other ways of, of, of studying, I guess. Um, so there's, it's, it's just weird how Dom keeps cutting him off when DC is saying, I watch tape, but I've watched all your fights. So uh, this is DC admitting he had a researcher. I have some words about this one. Let's hear it first. So I had a researcher that I would pay. He would give me all my notes, and I would go and call the fights. Uh, right. But then the reality is, you... So maybe, how is that watching film? But then I would watch the fight still, but the guy would give me all the background stuff and all that. Why? You know That's I your job. That? Dude, he hey, just wanted let me ask you a question. Did you think about doing that, too? So what happened? I, why didn't you do it? I, I'll, I'll tell you why. Okay, tell me. I like to give the first fight on the prelims the same amount of attention and respect <laughs> yes. oh as my the main God. event. You're such a, oh <laughs> my God, you brown nose this oh of a bitch. Oh my God. You Listen. told me that shit was too much. No, it was way too much. Don't do the Dominic Cruz now. No. Because of this. I have always done my own research. I, the idea that I have enough money, by the way, to pay a researcher to do this stuff for me is obscene. These guys do. I did not when I was with the UFC. I've never, ever, ever, ever not done my own research. And the idea that DC did have someone do his research. Number one, let me start off with UFC does have these like, like research packets they give you. So every time there's a fight, like, you know, their punch stats per minute and the number of, of, of power punches land per round, they have all that stuff, okay? Anytime you hear one of those stats spat out from one of these guys, let me give you a hint. Let me give you a little behind the scenes. They looked down, they didn't have anything to say, and they spat it out. I never looked at that effing thing because it's full of junk as far as I'm concerned. Hey, number of leg kicks per round and this and that and that and it has their record and who they fought in the UFC and I know all that stuff. And if I don't know it, it's 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 a stupid dumb stat that doesn't generally add anything to the fights. I think fights are way beyond stats. So the idea that you have a research guy when you do two cards a month is absurd. That's absurd. Now, I don't know of anyone else doing this. No one ever told me they had a research person. I never had a research person. You sit there in front of your freaking computer, and you watch fights, and you do your own prep. I did. I did, because I had time. You do two fights a month, mother effer. That gives you the rest of the month to do research about the fights. And then you have, what, one or two death shows on Fox? Man, when I was there on Fox, of course. The idea that you need somebody to do that for you? What else do you have going on in your life that you can't prep for two cards a month? I, that is, I, that I don't get. It. I don't. Don't get it. I was on that schedule. I'm telling you, I, did, I sat there and I just watched fights all day. That's part of my job. So does it condemn DC? Not necessarily, but when that's already what you're being accused of, he doesn't do his prep, and then he says, I had a researcher do it for me when I have two fights a month. But Jimmy, he does other stuff. What's the important job here, people? 
The important job is getting ready for the fights. Uh, he's got to be willing to do that. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. We have the original outlaw, Dan Hardy, joining us right now, man. Appreciate you making the time for us, buddy. No worries, man. Always good to talk to you. All right. So there's a lot of meat on the bone here. Uh, let's start off with, I have worked with Dan Hardy in the UFC. You and I called fights together. I worked with Joe Rogan actually calling fights together. And I work with a lot of people on the desk, right? Rashad Evans, Michael Bisping, uh, a lot of broadcasters. So we'll start off from the broadcasting side about this controversy between D.C. and Dominic Cruz, where Dominic Cruz publicly saying he doesn't do his work. He doesn't do his homework. He doesn't do his prep. I mute him when he's on. We won't even get into who's right or wrong about this, but according to your own code as a broadcaster, even if it were true, would you say something like that publicly about somebody you have to work with? I'm curious about that, Dan. I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't. But I've never been in that situation where um, I'm stepping out of a broadcast booth and back into an, into the octagon. And, you know, this is fight week, and Dominic Cruz is, is a very unique character, you know what I mean? And he can be very abrasive sometimes. He always says what he thinks, and that's not always what people want to hear. Um, the, the problem is I think he's concerned about the commentary not being um educated from dc's part while he's fighting because i think perhaps he's experienced a backlash in the past after one of his fights where you know the commentary may have led it in a in a particular direction which dominic cruz didn't like but you know it, it's fight week there's a lot of pressure there's a you know he's, he's on the on the prelims which is not going to be not going to be nice for him you know he's under sean o'malley which is really gonna really gonna upset him you know there's a, a lot of pressure on him this week and he's got a tough fight um, and, and I just think he's, you know, he doesn't want to feel like anybody else other than Pedro Munoz is against him. And I think he might feel like that with DC a little bit. Are there inherent issues? And I brought this up before talking about, for example, DC doing commentary and being a broadcaster and, and then fighting. Well, there are inherent problems. But as you said, you know, you take off the commentator hat, you put on your fight hat. It's, it's, it's different. Then you got to go back on and be neutral. And then you're, you're talking about your opponent. And you're, you can be an a-hole and get under the skin and all this stuff. And then as a commentator, you can't really do that. Are there inherent issues with going back and forth between the octagon and the booth? I don't know. I mean, I've always liked the idea of it. I've always liked the idea of someone being present in training camps at the same time as uh, as being in the commentary booth. It gives you quite a fresh perspective, I think. I also like the idea of having retired fighters in there because the benefit of, of, of retiring or stepping away from the sport for a while is that you get out your own way. You know, you can watch fights objectively, you can research objectively, you can be a fan again. And sometimes if you're in training camp or, I mean, you know, Dominic Cruz is obsessed with the sport, you can tell that. DC's probably had his fill with it by now, and he's you know he's naturally more drawn to other things. They're at different stages of their career, and I think they offer different things. I mean, I've been I've been chatting with the fans about it on Twitter all day, and you know, kind of what you feel about commentary, and and you know what responsibilities lie on the people that are have got their mics in their hand, and you know what you expect from them, and a lot of it is more uh, people want information more than more than personality. 
but at the same time, you know, you do need that bit of comic relief. And DC is lovable in that way, which is why I think people are quite forgiven of the fact that sometimes he's got a, a mouthful of popcorn instead of his eyes on his notes. Yeah, the, the, there certainly is that. But um, speaking to Dan Hardy, MMA broadcaster, uh, fighter as well, uh, when I look at it, it, it's it's one of those things where it isn't just a guy talking about another broadcaster. It's a guy who works with that broadcaster, working with them again. And 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 when I say there there are issues with fighters being broadcasters at the same time, it's we do fighter meetings. You and I have sat in them where we've interviewed fighters. And if I think I might fight you, and you go, "How did camp go?" None of your effing business. Do you have any injuries? I'm not telling you shit. I might fight you, Paul Felder. I might fight you, Dominic Cruz. I'm not going to tell you anything. Like, guys going in there for interviews and getting called out. Like, what the hell? Like, I'm giving an interview. How would you like to fight me next? Hey, dude, are you a commentator or are you my next opponent? There's always that kind of conflict of interest that rides that line. And and that's why I'm not a fan of active fighters doing commentary because don't tell me John. No, DC is going to call a John Jones fight. And be neutral and interview him, dude. F you, get out! I can't stand you, right? So there's always that 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 line. But I can't imagine you and I, Dan. You know, I know we're talking publicly. You and I always got along well. All right, we call fights. We would hang out in the lobby of the hotel, whatever. I can't imagine going. Yeah, Dan Hardy sucks. He doesn't do any of his homework. Oh, I'm calling a fight with Dan Hardy next week. Like you sit there, go f you, dude. We'd probably end up fighting. That edge of it is i don't see how these guys work together again what do you what's your take on that man I, th- I think it's going to make it uncomfortable but then you know i think perhaps the ufc like that kind of dynamic sometimes they, they like a bit of friction a bit of disagreement in the booth it's it's become you know i mean it's become a lot less like commentary in a lot of ways you know dominic cruz keeps it anchored in you know technical information and, and DC gives good technical information, especially when he feels comfortable, you know, with, with the, the range in which he's talking about. But it, it is a bit more like a, um, it's got a bit more of a podcasty feel to it now, which I think is, you know, maybe a change in taste, maybe a change in style of the UFC. But it's, it, I think it's different. I mean, I think if you hear, hear other commentators, or especially in the other sports, there's far more of a, of a, of a technical value to, to the commentary than, than sometimes we get in, in the UFC. But, I mean, I enjoy it. I enjoy it, but then I'm, you know, I'm I'm quite well aware of what's going on, so I perhaps don't need as much technical information. I think, you know, if we're growing the sport, I do think people still respond. And you know, maybe it's just a case of having a good balance. You know, you you're an excellent commentator. Brian Stan was an excellent commentator as well. You know, to you know, someone like yourselves and like Dominic Cruz sitting on one side with a, a Rogan Bisping or DC type of character on the other. I think maybe that's the dynamic, but it's it's got to be a, a well balanced one, and they've got to understand the roles in which each other's play. Um, I mean, you know, Dom puts the work in; he's obsessed, as we've said, and you know, DC DC loves loves being around the sport, loves chatting to the fighters, you know, always hanging out in the lobby, having conversations, and you know, but it's it's, it's far more of a kind of a casual conversation, whereas Cruz is about the technical information. I think both are interesting; both are needed, but. They've got to sit side by side, and I think that's going to be uncomfortable a little bit now. 
Yeah, I think so. And 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 you know, when I it's like there's almost there's almost always one, right? Like I, I didn't think like there was with you and I. I think we, we both do a lot of research. We both knew a lot of the fire and all that stuff. But but usually there is almost like when I worked with Antonio Tarver in PBC Boxing. Antonio Tarver is obviously a world champion boxer. He's an Olympian, you know, and, and he knew a lot of these people intimately. He had trained with them. He had, but if he didn't know somebody, he knew nothing. Like he just, and like either he had ran across this person at some point in his 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 fight career, which was a lot of people, or he was like, I don't know. And I would take that person. Like I would like, okay, I would fill in the gaps because he just wasn't a study guy. Either he knew it automatically. Or he had no idea. And there are almost like study guys, like, you know, Steve Farhood and all these boxing people that know there are encyclopedias. And then there are, if I didn't do it in the gym and run into this person, I don't know them. Why do those people balance so much, man? Because it seems like there's always one in the other, right? I mean, I think it's because of their, their credentials within the sport. I think that's why people want to hear their voice. You know, deep. Like you wouldn't sign DC as a commentator off the street. You like DC is a commentator because he's a two-time, you know, two-division world champion. Yeah. Because he's got a pedigree to his opinion, and you know, his opinion is is his own, and and that's you know that's what people are interested in hearing. Same as Michael Bisping. You know, he had such a he had such a storied career. Michael Bisping. He, he's had the experience of every every fighter on the roster combined. You know, and and he's also a very a very witty individual. So he's a great addition to the commentary team, and they they're credentialed because of their careers as well. But then again, so is Dominic Cruz, you know. But then I, I don't know as I don't know as you necessarily need someone who's who's. Ex, I mean, a good example is Paulie Malinaji. I think he's an excellent yeah. boxing commentator. Roy Jones, I'm not so so keen on when he's commentating, but Roy Jones was a much better boxer. There's no doubt about it. But the difference is, Paulie Malinaji was constantly swimming uphill. Like he was, he was always the weaker fighter in there. He always had the 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 the, the hands that broke. Um, I mean, he, he had to work for everything he got, which gave him great experiences. Same as Dominic, same as uh, uh, Michael Bisping. You know, I think that's why these people have such a value when they're sitting there because they've 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 been there, they've walked the boards, and they've uh, they, they you know they've they've felt those feelings that the guys in the octagon are feeling. But you do need the technical information to balance it out. And when you, you know, if you can find that in the same person, then then you you're absolutely gold. But it's very difficult. I gotta get your opinion on something about you that I think pertains to you a lot. Uh, the rematch nobody wanted: Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley. Too <laughs> last we heard, it was supposed to be you and Tyron Woodley. I was really looking forward to that. What do you think of this whole situation? And how did you find out about it and everything? T- tell me your side of it, man. Uh, well, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that, that it's happened this way. I, I'm a bit disappointed. I think there's a lot of lot, well, there was a lot of pressure on Tommy Fury, and I think whether you know whether he's actually injured or whether whether he was just pushed to a point where he couldn't take the, the pressure anymore. You know, I mean, he's under so much pressure from his own family. The things they say in interviews and stuff about you know having to change his name and <laughs> disown you. Him. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough being a Fury, yeah, right? Yeah. That is just ladling the pressure on, and on on the side of Jake Paul, like he's an accidental boxer. You know, it's not like he's not working hard for what he's got. But the people following him are not following him because he's a boxer. They're following him because he's Jake Paul. So it doesn't really matter. He can trip and stumble, and they'll continue following his journey. Whereas Fury could be massively derailed. Now, when this when the fight was announced, maybe a maybe a week before the fight was announced, I I spoke to Jake Paul's manager. And he spoke to me about fighting Tyron Woodley on the undercard of that fight, but it was just too soon. I've, I mean, I've got so much, so many things to do. I'm just prepping for Cage Warriors right now. 
like I'm, I'm ju I've just been too busy, so I wouldn't have been able to. But in my head, we we're already conversing about the March fight. So I think maybe that's when Tyron went quiet on the side of the promoter that I'm speaking to, the, the fight that we're trying to get going in March. So I think maybe he was just kept in reserve. I think they maybe expected something to happen like this. And they kept Tyron in, in the wings just to step in. And of course, you know, dangling a big payday and a, and a rematch in front of him. Of course, he's going to jump at it. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm, I'm glad he's got the rematch. I hope he pulls the trigger this time because I think he can knock Jake Paul out if he does. Um, and then that sets up a trilogy. I mean, it, it might push my plans to fight him back, but that's still on the table if he wants it. But I've, I've got a couple of other options. I, I get the odd message in my inbox from, from the occasional person, and as you fancy it or whatever. <laughs> uh, speaking, of course, to Dan Hardy, the outlaw, talking about, of course, Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley. When you talk about pressure, people said, oh, who's under more pressure? I go, Woodley's whole legacy took a gigantic hit when he couldn't knock out a YouTube boxer, a former Disney star turned boxer, whatever you want to call Jake Paul and Logan Paul, whatever. Uh, so uh, if he doesn't perform in this one, I mean, how do you rehabilitate him as a fighter? I, I don't know how you do it, Dan. Do you have any words about that? I, I don't know. I, I don't know whether the, his only option then is maybe to return to MMA. I honestly don't know. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing him fight uh, um, Mike Perry on that um, Triller Triangle thing they were doing, the, the Dorita yeah. gone, I've been calling it. You know, I wouldn't <laughs> mind seeing him on that. Um, I think there's money out there for him to be made, but as far as his boxing career, it's, you know, it's about as dead in the water as his, as his uh, rap game. So, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on him this time around, a lot more than there was last time, I think, because now he's got to, now he's got to... Uh, and at some point, someone's going to see whether that tattoo's actually on his finger as well, aren't they? Yeah, I mean that's, that's it too. The week. Yeah, you know? yeah. You can't go faking the tattoo, man. Um, transitioning to this weekend, because I have a great MMA mind in front of me right now uh, in Dan Hardy. Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier. The big question right now everybody has is, in my opinion, this is my personal opinion, Charles Oliveira might be the most skilled guy at 155. When you look at his jiu-jitsu, when you look at his striking, when you look at everything he can do in MMA, not many people have that whole package. And yet, the knock is always, man, his heart, when you push him, he folds. And I was telling a caller earlier, the fact that he's finished all these guys in this streak he's had quickly almost highlights the negative. He gets it done so fast, we don't know how he does in championships rounds. championship rounds. He's never been there before in his career. Uh, where do you fall in that debate of technique versus heart? And people questioning his heart, but not his technique. But to a lot of people, that's enough. What are your views on Oliveira this weekend? No, I think a lot of the the perspective of him, you know, struggling if you push him is residual from his featherweight career. I, I do think he's a different fighter at lightweight. He's, he's a different animal. He's stronger. He's, he's tougher. He looks mentally uh, uh, stronger as well as physically. Um, and he's, you know, his striking game is complementing his, his grappling now. You know, the, the, world, the record holder for, for submissions in the UFC and his last streak has been, you know, dropping people. He's a lethal individual. We don't know how he's going to do over the championship rounds, but that's that's the fun part of him fighting Poirier because, I mean, that's Poirier's ace card, isn't it? It's got to be to push him into those later rounds because I think if we're honest, we all know that Charles Oliveira is the more technical fighter. I think he's got cleaner strike and I think he's got a, a more varied skill set. And because he doesn't mind going to the ground, he'll throw whatever he wants at you with, with a reckless abandon. So... I think he's a lot more dangerous at both ranges than uh, than Poirier is. I think Poirier might be able to control the fight if he, uh, you know, if if he wants to keep it on the feet. But I still think he's going to struggle with the striking as well. Taking it deep is really the, the the best option for him. 
And and I don't know. I, I don't really see Charles Oliveira struggling too much. I just think at 155, he's a different machine. Do you think Poirier has trouble with the pacing? Because historically, Poirier, a slow starter. We saw that in the, the first Connery match. We've seen in several of his fights. Justin Gaethje, he tends to start slowly and then build up late. Charles Oliveira can tap your ass out and knock you out quickly. Do you think Poirier adjusts his pacing on Saturday? Maybe starts a little bit quicker. I, I don't know. I mean, it depends on, on the way Charles Oliveira wants to take this, really. I think the smart way for Oliveira to approach it is, is exactly the way they did with Chandler and with, uh, with, with Kevin Lee. I mean, if you watch the first 15 seconds of the first and second round against Chandler, he does almost exactly the same thing. He runs out into the center. He kind of faints a couple of times with his lead leg. And then in the, in the first round, he chops him hard twice with a, with a low kick. Starts really fast. Now, that's what Poirier doesn't like. In the second round, he dropped Chandler with a left hook within seconds. Um, I, I also think, think back to the Jim Miller fight where he, he basically just, just swarmed him, grabbed him, picked him up, slammed him to the floor, and then, then wrapped him up like a, like a boa constrictor. Poirier might be subbed before he's even broken a sweat. That might be a, a sad reality of this weekend for Poirier because, because Charles Oliveira might come at him like a, like a swarm of wasps. And he might just he might just overtake him in in a minute and a half, but you know that's what Poirier's got to expect because he must know by this point that he is a bit of a slow starter. He can be. Um, I think if he can weather that early storm and keep the strike, keep the fight on the feet, and and keep his footwork going like he did against Gaethje, you know I, I think you know I think he's got a good chance of getting into the third, fourth, fifth round, and we can see where Charles Oliveira's uh, you know championship qualities are at. Um, it's it's going to be a rough first couple of rounds though for sure. Dan, I could talk MMA all day with you. Unfortunately, I know you don't have the time. You're busy going over your notes for Cage Warriors. I get it 100%. I really appreciate you giving us the time, as always, man. No worries, man. Always good talking to you. This is Lindsay Rhodes, and I'm so excited for my podcast, The NFL Roadshow, to be joining the SiriusXM sports family. We'll be talking about the most compelling topics and to some of the most interesting people in and around the NFL. Taking a look at things through my somewhat nerdy football lens. I like to push past the low-hanging fruit to get to the real stories that are going to make you feel like a smarter football fan. So please join me every Wednesday for The NFL Roadshow, available on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking right now at a New York Post article. I can't believe this made the New York Post. WWE's Corey Graves' criticism of on-air remarks about fiancé is woke bullshit. That's what he says. That's what it actually says here. Corey Graves, a color commentator on WWE's Monday Night Raw. Doesn't say Jimmy Smith. Doesn't say where he works for Jimmy Smith. Nothing. Nothing about me. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Railed against woke BS in defending against criticism of how he announces matches involving real-life fiancé, WWE wrestler Carmella. Graves, 37, whose real name, we'll get back to this, is Matthew Polinsky. First responded to a woman named Alyssa Marino, a podcaster and indie wrestling commentator who tweeted, this is where this all started, when an announced team can't focus on a match and is constantly commenting on the physical appearance of competitors, especially when it's women in the ring, it's time to find professional broadcasters who can tell the story without being distracted, in quotes, by the athletes. Graves wrote back, well then, I suggest you find a different field than sports entertainment. If you can't differentiate between a TV character and an actual journalist, then I don't trust anything you have to say. Good luck. That's what he said. 
Uh, then somebody jumped on the writer for the website, The Sportster, um, Norman uh, Quarantine, it looks like. Responding to criticism regarding how you talk about women by telling a woman that she's in the wrong line of work probably isn't a good move, but you do you. Trust me, I'll break this down one at a time here. Uh, Graves wrote back, responding to criticism about how I speak on TV about a character betrayed by my actual fiancé trumps any of your woke BS. But you do you. You're welcome to the virtual, virtue, signal, virtue signal boost. Uh, Peter Rosenberg, a radio host on Hot 97, which is a big um, radio station out in New York. Uh, Corey Graves is the best color analyst in pro wrestling, and people are mad he was praising the looks of his real-life fiance, whose character has been the most beautiful woman in all of WWE. People really have a lot of time on their hands. So here's, here's the deal that is, is interesting to me. The reason I point it out that Corey Graves' real name, and it says so in the article, is Matthew Polinsky. I am the only commentator on Monday Night Raw who's using his real name. I hate to break it to you. Byron Saxon's real name is not Byron Saxton. Corey Graves' real name is not Corey Graves. Me, Jimmy Smith, the guy sitting in the middle, is the only one using his real name. What does that tell you? I'm the only one who doesn't have a character. Period. I'm the only one. That's it. Corey, to my right, is a heel. He is supposed to be an a-hole. He's supposed to be sarcastic. He's supposed to break my balls all the time. He's supposed to jump down my throat. He's supposed to get distracted by not just Carmella, whose whole shtick is that she's super-duper beautiful. He did the same thing with Eva Marie, whose whole shtick was that she's super-duper beautiful. To my left, Byron Saxon is a face. He's a good guy. And part of the shtick, if you notice on Monday Night Raw, Corey goes off about how gorgeous Carmella is, and she's the greatest thing ever. And we are like, Corey, get back to the match. You're an idiot. Focus. We're supposed to do that. He is playing a character, and Byron Saxon is playing a character. And when they're making comments about someone's attractive, Mr. Beauty, the fact that I'm the straight man, I don't have a character. I'm kind of in the middle. And I say, Corey, let's get back to the actual match or whatever we say, da 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 we are part of the show. We are part of the entertainment. To even call it commentary is, I mean, it's not, it's not a, 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 it's not inaccurate, but it's, it's not 100% accurate either. I'm not doing commentary when I do WWE like I do commentary for fight sports, boxing, and MMA. It's totally different. And people ask me all the time, like, oh, what's the big difference between going to the WWE as opposed to the UFC is, with WWE, I'm part of the show. I'm part of the show. So things that you may see as weaknesses in commentary are things they want from us. When a character does a character reset coming up from NXT or some other organization, and I pretend to not know who they were or any of their accomplishments before they got to Monday Night Raw, I'm doing what I'm being told. It's not that I didn't do my research. It's not that I didn't know who Piper Niven was. Of course I did. I did my homework like I was supposed to. But when she came to Raw from NXT UK, they reset her character and called her Dewdrop. 
So the directive was, all right, we're kind of resetting the character here. So people, and people did, by the way, get pissed online, like, oh, Jimmy Smith and Corey Graves don't even know who Piper Niven is. Of course we know who Piper Niven is. But we're part of the show, and part of the show is we're resetting her character. And to not recognize that when Corey Graves is talking about his fiance or going off about Eva Marie, which is another one he went off about, or when he, he praises one uh, heel, typically, over another, he's doing his job. His job is to be an a-hole douchebag character. And the funny thing is, is when I originally read this, and Corey said to a pro wrestling commentator, she works in the Indies, apparently. I don't know who this person is, by the way. Um, Alyssa Marino. I don't know who she is. Apparently she does the Indies. When he said, well, then, I suggest you find a different field in sports entertainment. If you can't differentiate between a TV character and an actual journalist, then I don't trust anything you have to say. Good luck. I didn't even take that as mean-spirited. If you're trying to make it in pro wrestling as a commentator and you don't know the difference between Corey Graves talking as a character and giving what we call a shoot interview where he's as himself, they are two different things. And it's almost like criticizing the referee. (laughs) So, like, I can't believe the referee didn't see that illegal move. That's a terrible referee. No, he's part of the show. It's his job to not see that illegal move or whatever the deal is. And I I just, it was weird because it was like a non-controversy controversy to me. It's, Corey isn't saying, oh, women can't do this job or I'm down. Like he's not, he's saying when I talk about her beauty and her physicality or something like this, I'm playing up the D-bag character who's obsessed with Carmella, which is a, Obviously, a wink and a nod to the fact that they are in real life fiance, right? So the writers, you know, encourage that because, you know, the fans know they're together and it's, 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 a, it's a fun little thing for them to do. And Carmella's whole character is that she's the most beautiful woman in the WWE. So she plays up her physicality. Corey, as a fellow heel, completely buys into it. And that's, that's the thing. So I want to uh, paint a clear line here, too. For someone who says women are portrayed poorly in WWE, whatever, the Attitude Era era was all TNA, and that's disgusting. Okay, that criticism is the WWE and the writing staff and the people who made those storylines, not the people who act in those storylines. There's a big difference between what the performers themselves do and the character or gimmick they are given and how it is written. If you don't like what a, a character says during a promo, you are being critical of the WWE's writing staff. Not necessarily that person. Not necessarily that superstar. Not necessarily that performer. Yelling at Corey Graves on social media or in real life about what he says to Carmella is like yelling at an actor... And Julius Caesar, if you yell at the character of Brutus because he's too violent. I, I didn't write the part. Shakespeare wrote the part. It's, it's absurd to criticize Corey Graves for doing exactly what his character, the a-hole sarcastic D-bag, is supposed to do. Now, as I just said, the, the, the conflict between Dominic Cruz and Daniel Cormier, one thing Dominic Cruz has done on air many times is 
kind of gone after his broadcast partner. And it's almost like him and, and Michael Bisping have kind of like gotten into it. Like there's a little bit of an argument there. When Corey goes after me on air, which he has many, many times, almost every Monday, he goes, he goes after Byron all the time. He goes after me somewhat. What do you think we do during commercial? Kelly, I'll ask you. What do you think we do during commercial? Do you think I punch him in the face? Do you think I choke him out? Do you think I take I off my headset? I would imagine you guys just have a regular conversation. We laugh it's... our asses off about it. Whenever he's like, right. oh, yeah, like, you know anything about wrestling, Jimmy, and we go to commercial, we'll, like, ah, was a good one. Like, we'll, like, bust each other's balls and laugh about it. Right. I'm not mad because he's not really busting my balls because it's effing professional wrestling. It's sports entertainment. We're supposed to go after each other. When Seth Rollins comes to the desk to, to guest commentate, and he busts my balls, which he did the last time he was there. Oh, man, I'm more dangerous than this guy. F you. Da, 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 da. I'm, I'm trying not to laugh because it's a good line. And when we go to break, we're laughing about it because we're doing our job well. If you have an issue, this person, once again, don't want to mess up her name, Alyssa Marino, has an issue with how women are portrayed or how the commentary tr- team portrays women, that's a criticism of the WWE in the direction they take women, I guess. It's not a criticism of Corey Graves. Because as a commentator right now, number one, I got to say the guy is absolutely great from a broadcasting perspective. And he understands the character he's supposed to play on television. And he does it very, very well. And what he's supposed to do is counter myself and Byron Saxton. I am the middle ground. I am the audience. I am the guy kind of steering the ship and making sure that it doesn't degenerate into a heel fest with Corey Graves or a love fest with Byron Saxton. And Byron Saxton and Corey Graves are supposed to argue all the time. He's supposed to be in love with Carmella. Byron is supposed to point out how she's always running or cheating. I'm supposed to translate what they are saying to the moves inside the ring. Between the three of us, we tell the story of what's going on. And the story of Carmella is she is a blazing hot character who gets by on her looks but doesn't want to actually hurt her face or actually get hurt or actually wrestle. That's the gimmick. So Corey Graves is playing into that gimmick because that's his job. KOB, as a casual wrestling fan, how do you feel about this whole thing? I just think it's funny that all of a sudden people are going to try to litigate pro wrestling. Like, really? Yes. We're, that world we're going to step into? Like, it's 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 a partial world of fiction, you know? Like, these they're playing a role. They're playing characters. Oh, it's almost yes. 100% fiction. And in this yeah. case, as you said, the two men sitting next to you are both playing a role. Right. So we're going to get mad. It's like getting like, wow, you know, <laughs> Clint Eastwood is really racist in Gran Torino. Like, yeah, that's the yeah, character. Yeah, that's <laughs> the character, right? <laughs> like, that's the whole thing. Uh, it's funny, man, just to see it. I, I, I totally agree with you. Like, and even some of the people who are getting on him on Twitter, like I get his one thing of like, uh, what was, uh, what was the one particular quote? It was like, um, you know, telling this woman that she doesn't know what she's talking about, blah, blah, blah. It's like, 
we're gonna play that she's game. A woman, like, yeah. I can't tell her. Yeah. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Like, it's like you're not really anybody. Right. Yeah. But that's the funny thing. It's like the, the, I I always hate when people try to do some of those things. And yes, every now yeah. and again they're called yeah. for. But it's like you're not really answering what he just answered. Like yes, yes. You immediately jumped at oh telling this woman this. Like you you hopped on that instead of actually paying attention to what he said. And this is not in any way a statement about the Me Too movement or political culture, anything no. like that. Because I am I am left of most of the people on this threat. I am. I, I, you know, I completely support the Me Too movement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and women's rights and all that stuff. I am completely support. It has nothing to do with this. Like, to me, that's ridiculous. And to put it in that framework that Corey's trying to bully this woman, I'm going to read exactly what he said. Well, I suggest you find a different field in sports entertainment because she is a wrestling commentator uh, in the Indies. If you can't differentiate between a TV character and an actual journalist – then I don't trust anything you have to say. Good luck. Like, you clearly don't know and can't understand how pro wrestling works. Another thing, I was uh, doing a thing with Busted Open this morning. We talked about it briefly while I was recording something with Busted Open. And it was me and Bully Ray. And and what we talked about is, is he said this person might be, uh, whoever this is, he knows her a little bit, um, Alyssa Marino. And says she might be trying to just get her name out there. You know, like maybe she's trying to get some heat and get her name out there. And my counter was, the problem is she's looking like she doesn't understand the business, really. Which, which if you're trying to look for work, the worst thing you could do is, is sound like you don't know what's going on. If, if you go, man, Seth Rollins stopping. I mean... You know, stopping Edge was criminal. That person should be arrested. And you'd go, whoa, 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 you, you, that's, that's not real. And, and no one who understands pro wrestling would think that's real. And you saying that means large wrestling promotions will go, this person doesn't get what we're doing. And you wouldn't hire them. So Corey advice is spot on. Look, you're saying you don't know enough about the business. If you are looking for work in pro wrestling, and you're saying, and you're criticizing the way Corey is playing his gimmick. Uh, that's that's that that's a bad resume, and I totally agree with what Corey Graves said about that. You're saying you don't know much about the wrestling business. If you want to criticize the way women are portrayed in pro wrestling, that's a totally different argument than saying the commentary team, especially Corey Graves, shouldn't get wrapped up in the woman's beauty. Corey is playing his character. In exactly the right way. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. Special thanks to Sirius XM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And Sirius XM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. Sirius XM Podcasts.